0: This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the master marketer show. Today is going to be fun. Uh, we've got Eddie Saunders, Jr. With us, Uh, he heads up demand gen for flex machine tools, and we are going to talk about, uh, some really fun stuff today. We're going to talk about influencers and video content and really just how to shake things up in maybe say fairly stale traditional industries. Um, for the most part, not you guys though. So let's uh, maybe let's let's kick it off. Uh, I mean, a lot of you probably have seen Eddie and his content out there. Um, Eddie, I think where, where I'd love to start is why the influencer route.
0: Solid question, and the the best short form answer, and I'll dive in is because no one else really is in the industry, and that's my favorite part. So. Hopefully nobody takes this advice as oh, I'm gonna do this now, because I'd love to just be one of the few, but, but no, nonetheless, diving into it. It's, if you think about it, like, as marketers, regardless of the industry that we are in, it is our job to generate, capture, engage with just attention. Just attention, in general, is really what we're fighting for. It's a currency, some would say. And to that point, if you think about influencers, like, they have a segmented pool of attention. Quantifiable as well. You can put a literal number on the amount of attention that they have, and it's super, super relevant. So it kind of really reminds me of taking that widespread approach where you can spend all this money, do all this to help, you know, get some nice KPIs, nice metrics, and get some people to your website. So they maybe download a form and might be interested in a conversation, or you go to an individual quite literally an individual who has a segmented piece of relevant attention that's such an easy thing to to look forward to if you're forward-minded because if our jobs in essence are to capture that attention then why not go directly to the human beings that have direct lines of attention it's almost the idea as if we're fishermen right and we love to fish and I say, hey, you can spend the rest of your day going around this entire pond, figuring out who's wearing what. But if you go by that rock underneath that tree over there, all of these specific type of fish you're trying to catch and get a hold of, they're all right over there. I see them every single day. Hey, here's how many number quantifiable that there actually specifically are. And that's what influencers can do to a marketing campaign. And I'm really surprised, but also not, that a lot of people aren't diving more into that world because it is almost guaranteed quantifiable attention.
1: So there uh, one thing I think is interesting that I see you doing for anybody that that maybe doesn't follow you and hasn't seen your stuff or maybe not in your industry you are doing really two sides at least in my mind of the influencer coin if you will. You are co-creating content with these other with other influencers but then you're also really you've become an influencer in your own right in the industry, right? So you've built up, whether you want to admit that or not, that's just, I guess, as far as, as, far as I, I, I'll, I'll say that, right? Like, <laughs> uh, which brings this whole other, and again, some people call it thought leadership, right, whatever you right. want to call it, the reality is, is you are now having people come to you and say, hey, Eddie, come speak at our mm-hmm. conference, or etc. and people are listening to you just for who you are and what you talk about. And again, that quantifiable influence that you have, uh as well so uh, i'm curious was that purposeful or is that by accident
0: a little bit of both more so by strategy and by design i will say because if you think about it um, unless you have a really strong established brand like of course you can be consistent and all that fun stuff but we learned at least i learned very quickly that these social platforms love to boost up and gas up creators like actual human beings and so i said like two or so years ago let's humanize the brand and i didn't want to do it selfishly i've just i've done this before in a different industry and on my own personal socials. so i thought let's really try to scale this and if we're going to do it the way we we need to do it correctly we need to have some type of internal human being and me i've been in theater my whole life um as well as uh you know i'm an mc on the side so i do a lot of the, the event promoting things like that give me a microphone i just make noises and so we thought okay let's give somebody give our audience someone to connect with to be entertained by and to engage with and through that there's even you know raw subjective and objective i should say data that shows there are great results and my personal like presence and brand if you want to um go into that route um, there are actual results and they're doing way, way better than any of the content that we're posting just from our business pages. So you're starting to see a lot of brands do that. I think it's really, really smart. Some people do it by accident, some people do it by design. And as much as I never thought that it would ever lead to me like getting speaking engagements and stuff like that, which I'm really honored and humbled by, um, it's just been a really cool result of that because at the end of the day, it's just maximizing those avenues to really get the right attention and then get as much of it as possible. And if you were to remove my presence from that situation it would result in a significant decrease of that data of the reach of the impressions and of just the overall brand trust i think so we've seen some really good results by design
1: awesome so i think it's a good transition to talk about my uh, not transition but you know we like to talk about mindsets uh, as part of these conversations and maybe talk about what what what's the mindset that somebody needs to have or mindsets if you will to pursue this right because it's not a again it's not an easy thing to do for a lot, for for a lot of companies right it's sort of a deviation from the the standard we've always done it this way kind of thing mm-hmm. right so let's 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 talk about that. like what maybe specifically what mindset did you have as you started on this uh, journey? That I, that I,
0: you know, with it, just feel like dropped in my brain years and years ago that just was like a light bulb moment for me is everyone likes to do the b2c and b2b right your business to business business to consumer like that's just the standard mindset that everybody has from a transactional value i flipped that on its head or better stripped it of its you know uh it's 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 clothing and said hey what is this at its core and in all reality it's h to h which is human to human and that is the mindset that changed everything for me. Because before I became a marketer, or in all reality, maybe not before I became, but before it became a larger part of my profession, I spent 10 years in sales. Like 10 years beating down the doors, getting a hold of as many human beings as possible, having in-depth conversations. I've read 50 plus sales, marketing, psychology books. And so I really just immersed myself into the human experience. and ever since I've done that specifically, not only did it help my sales game, but it infinitely opened up a whole new world in perspective in the marketing side. Because too many times, specifically in manufacturing, they want to just do features and benefits. They do what I call the eye marketing and not your physical eye, but the letter eye. And they say everything the way that I would say it. I would do this, I would say that, I would think this. And I challenge that a lot, we challenge it here, whether it's the titles of our videos, the content we make in general, is, and just all, a huge list of things. And so when I started implementing that B2B is actually just H2H and it always is, if we lead with that, it allows us to have more of, a, of, of an empathy-based mindset, which whether it's my professional or my personal life, empathy has gotten me a, a lot of amazing opportunities. It's deepened relationships, and it's really quite a synergistic thing to have in my back pocket. And really, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only mindset that will work. Yeah. So let's
1: dive into that a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned you got a theater background, you're an MC, spent a lot of time in sales. What I'm taking away from that is like, you are just, you are a people person. You are good with people. And again, you and I've had at least a couple of conversations before I see your content, like, you know, a lot of people have to put in a, put up a persona, if you will, like that, that doesn't seem like that to you. Like this is you know, what you see is what you get with you in terms of you're clearly just good with people. So from a mindset perspective. And maybe not, like, what can someone take away from somebody like you who's built up that knowledge and those skills over time outside of sales and marketing? I guess, I mean, sales, yes, but again, that theater background and MC, like, what are some things from a mindset perspective that someone should
0: potentially take away from I mean, empathy. In all reality, and, and, and I, I don't mean to sound cliche, but I, I will die on that hill uh, when it comes down to it, whether it's personal or professional. Empathy is it's, it's a fantastic mindset, and it doesn't mean you have to bend and curve to everybody's needs. But for me, it's been really simple, just paying attention and being aware of how other individuals feel. Um, from a transaction standpoint with us buying emotionally, making decisions emotionally, or if I'm just looking to get what I want or help some somebody else get what they want. If I'm truly in that empathy mindset, it puts me in just a far greater position than someone who's just trying to be strictly transactional, which as you know, is the vast majority of the market. I understand dollars and cents, but all those years in sales and with honestly, a lot of those, the, the selling was in the marketing and advertising world. So I got to kind of kill two birds with one stone and kind of double down on my experience. But but that's really the biggest thing to be able to take away from it. And, and people mix up sympathy and empathy a lot. Sympathy is like understanding, like recognizing somebody's feelings like, okay, they're sad. That is sad, yada, yada. But empathy, to my mind, is inserting yourself into the feelings of another individual saying, man, I feel that pain. So whether it's been my personal life with my friends and family, or in my professional life, when I've taken a consultative approach in any type of solution-oriented conversation that I've had, it puts me in a great position to be able to honestly get what it is that i want but also in tandem if i'm truly the empath that i say that i am helping the other party get what it is that they want and there are a few people in this world that if you help them get what they want they will not return in kind very few they exist but very few
1: they definitely exist but i agree with you definitely very few i'm curious i'd love to hear you talk about like um, maybe in a couple of examples, how does this manifest itself in the work that you do in terms of content creation, sure. things like that?
0: Like how does empathy,
1: uh, come through as a
0: marketer? If you're not leading things with empathy, um, I feel like there's a lot of selfishness that kind of comes into that because you're only trying to get what it is that you want. Um, that's really the biggest thing that continues to stand out to me. So like that that's really been the big strategy for us. And we had to really take a step back and, and relearn how we engage with customers, man. Like we really had to, have, we were doing all the things a couple of years ago that we specifically, like everybody else does. And we had to kind of really challenge ourselves and flip that idea um, on its head and think, man, um, this is the way they've always done it. This is the industry we're in, but we had to reverse engineer what it is that we're trying to accomplish in all reality and it wasn't easy it didn't happen overnight um but but it's been been a real big initiative for us and i hope i'm answering the question for what it's worth i'm not trying to go off too much it's just something i'm really excited and passionate about because when i look back and have these conversations it just reminds me of where we were and just the work that we've done but i just continue to focus on the work that we need to do because we're just always doing the latest and greatest within the industry and that we yield great results from that
1: so maybe tactically like what would you say has been the biggest change in terms of from that you know here's how we've always done it too and how
0: everybody else is doing it too here's where we are
1: now and uh where that empathy comes in
0: man the biggest change where it shifted for us is when we started experimenting when we finally grew some guts because it's scary to do what other people aren't doing it's scary to to try the latest and greatest it's not for everybody you know what i'm saying like even when christopher columbus sailed the ocean blue you know not everybody was just jumping at the bit to try and you know find these new lands per se and so a lot of that happens in manufacturing because they've just been doing it the same way the old handshake agreement old boy network all that fun stuff and so the real tipping point is when i just i put on my big boy pants you know pulled up my pampers and said all right man we're gonna do some weird stuff we're gonna try it not everything is gonna work But you know, worst case scenario, the worst things that we do, they're still gonna generate attention. And though everything may not be everybody's cup of tea, we're gonna stop trying to please everybody. We're gonna find our tribe, we're gonna find our audience, we're gonna zone in, constantly be experimenting, but also very much having our hand on the pulse so that the data and the results will tell us what we want. And if we're gonna be truly empathetic marketers, we're going to listen to those who we're trying to talk to, understand where they are, what it is that they really, really want, and then if we're really good, we'll try to figure out how they make decisions.
1: What, one of the things I, I love about what you just said is uh, that worst case scenario piece, right? The worst thing that happens is we're going to generate attention. Right? And I think that's, that's so important uh, because if you're pitching this to the executive team, really what, we're, what you're doing is, hey, this is gonna be, we're going to invest in trying some new stuff. We're going to invest in some new ideas and some new marketing, and there's going to be inherent risks. But my risk analysis really says, "Hey, the worst thing that happens is we're going to generate some attention. Right? That's the worst thing that could possibly happen. So that's a that's kind of a uh, you know low risk, high reward type situation to a certain extent. Um, so maybe with that, how did you? Pitch this to your bosses, the executive team, whoever you needed to pitch this to, right? Because again, that sounds like it was a pretty major uh, diversion from where you were before, where the company sure. was
0: before. Sure, they had tried some things before, and they had made some, you know, some quirky stuff here and there, but. With me and my theater background, um, that really was a big thing. And, and when it came down to it, I had a lot of experience. And my degree is actually in marketing as well. I just My enthusiasm carried me from 18 until pretty much you know my, my, my late 20s <laughs> through a sales career, if you will. Uh, but it wasn't a really hard sell. It was one of those things where I, I do research before I make any decision, and I'm constantly watching. Like Before we even started our podcast, I was watching podcasters across the industry and across multiple industries for a minimum of six months. And I'm not talking about, oh, I started dabbling. Like, I was looking at what everyone was doing. I looked at their websites, who they were bringing on, how long their episodes were. Were they live? Were they not? What graphics did they use? What did they do after that? Like, dude, the list goes on. So here in this building, people know that if I'm going to bring something up or anybody, you know, in life in general, I'm going to bring some research. And it's not going to come out of my mouth unless it's really exciting or I've done my homework or a combination of both. And so that was the big thing here. Um, And for example, like when we started the Flex and Friends podcast, I said, hey, can I just, can I please have a laptop and a microphone and I will do the rest. And from there, we've been doing it for over a year and a half now, got 50 plus episodes. And we've been able to connect with some awesome people, really generate a significant amount of awareness. And we've been able to leverage that in a lot of other ways in tandem with, you know, the paid ads that we're doing, which is very minimal because a lot of it we do is organic. But the cell really wasn't as difficult as some people would think that it is in a lot of other companies. And I will say we have a little bit of an advantage because Flexer average age is like 35, 36 years old, which doesn't say everything, but it definitely says we have a more open-minded, modern mindset that allows us to take some of those risks and to not be as afraid um, because we need to make that noise knowing our competitors are quintuple plus the size of who we are. and We can't afford to beat them in ad spend, but we can definitely steal attention. Yeah. One
1: of the words I'm also latching onto from what you just said is leverage. Uh, I, li- I like to think of marketing in mm-hmm. investment terms. And, you know, some of the best investors out there use leverage as a major part of how they're so successful, right? So talk about that a little bit. Uh, how do you see and use leverage in what you hundred percent.
0: So I'm going to go to the buddy branding system. So it's just a fun little system that I kind of, I, if somebody else came up with it at some point, I mean, it's really just a fun word for collaborations, but it's the idea where it's synergistic collaborations, where there's mutual benefit um, when it comes to both sides. But the beauty of it all is we've leveraged our specific brand to look at other complementary or again, synergistic brands that are much larger than we are to do cool pieces of content. And even though they they think that we're just the big fish in the pond, we're a 50-or-less person company in the cornfields of Ohio. That's just the way that it is. So uh, we try to keep the puffery down, but our content speaks for itself. And so when we do that, we leverage our current presence to then be able to position other pieces of content with other individuals, therefore doubling our output, reducing our efforts because we're doing it with somebody else and really just doubling the efforts and lowering the investment as well if we do some type of paid ad spend we've done that on a variety of occasions because as much as we love featuring ourselves the synergistic products that exist within manufacturing are really almost endless in most cases. And, and I love that we could just easily go to some of these larger brands and they're so open-minded to doing content with us. One, because we do a lot of it ourselves. And if you do just a small amount of research on us, you are be like, wow, these guys get content. Um, you know, we're getting better every single day, but we wanna talk about a real leverage point. Over the last two years, just being absolutely consistent with our content strategy, the asks become way easier. The conversations become way shorter and the hesitancy, sorry, hesitancy is almost non-existent um, from people like we say, hey, we have an idea. And then they say, okay, when's the, when's the soonest we can meet and hear about it? Cause we wanna know what Flex is doing and we wanna know how we can be there as well. So we've created a nice little buddy system uh, through a lot of the brands that I've been able to represent or work directly with over the last three years. And we're seeing the fruits of that, that labor to this day. And we've even got new content coming out here soon that's going to feature even bigger and better partners that we are really excited to announce here can you walk through maybe an example of that like if uh
1: what's a what's a collabo that you've done recently that
0: that really paid sure off? sure so with us and how yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there, there's uh, it's really just the, the video series that, that we've done. I mean, not just with the influencers in general, because that's a whole nother conversation where we've seen immense results. But from a brand perspective, first, when COVID hit, right, everybody was sitting on their hands because they didn't know what to do. And they were just waiting for someone to do something right. And Flex, we're, we're never really known for sitting on our hands <laughs> at all. Um, it, 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 we said, hey, we're going to start doing live videos. And I said, okay, well, we're gonna do live videos. I'll take my theater background and I'll write a show. I'm gonna legit write a show. We're gonna contact some cutting tool brands because we manufacture large bed CNC machines. What do they need? You need cutting tools to cut the metal on the machine, right? And so we, we went to some just some of the largest cutting tool brands in the world and said hey we're writing a live show everybody's sitting there with their hands in their pockets trying to figure out what to watch we've created that that thing that they want to watch and we want to use your tools on our machine we're going to do a live demo we're going to have one of your experts we're going to bring them in so they can answer questions real time people were commenting we pulled them up we'd answer their question we'd show hd uh, footage of the cutter working in real time so that they can use that content and that's a true collaboration when both individuals can take something from it. And we would get, no joke, upwards of 100 people watching those events live. So we talk about a hot iron and we were striking. Oh, yeah, we swung the hammer on that one. And we still do video collaborations of that nature two years later. And and it's just, we have that content for YouTube. We can take fractal pieces of that content that we use to this day. I mean, I, there are a few people in this industry that recycle content and create content the way Flex does. And we're dang proud of it.
1: I mean, you guys definitely do some awesome stuff. Can you talk about um, maybe the thought process that went into that? You know, you mentioned, hey, we're not known for sitting on our on our hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, I think one of the things that people can maybe take away is what is the what is the thought process that went into? All right, here's what we're going to do differently instead of conferences
0: yeah i mean like i'll go back to my theater background i'm a dude i'm a theater nerd and a big performer and i'm a marketer obviously you know by by profession and all that fun stuff so uh, the thought process behind it was just we want to be able to to hit our three big e's what is that to engage entertain and educate right and so i figured we're always trying to create content that does just that because if we can even hit two of the three that's okay all three you got it Um, But we go back to mindset. And a big thing that I've always hit upon, even when I was like selling and consulting uh, for marketing and advertising for small to medium sized businesses, my phrase would be like, what have you done today to let the world know that you exist? And it just, again, another light bulb moment smacked me in the dome and I'm thinking, and I think that every single day, I wake up every day and think, what can I do to let the world know that I exist? selfishly, selflessly, whatever it can be. Um, That's been a huge mindset shift for me. And that's where a lot of the thought process comes from. And when you have that as the core of what you're trying to do, you'll think less about, oh my gosh, we gotta make everything perfect. We gotta do everything right. You gotta make sure it's the right font, pixelation, this and that. We gotta post at the right time and all that. Like you'll think that all day and that makes you a marketer and it means you care. But at the end of the day, if you have just the coal and the irons that are going into your fire be filled with what have I done today to let the world know that I exist and you have a little bit of creativity, there are so many tools nowadays available to you at your disposal that that can be a great leader um, in your thought process. And if you have that um, in your back pocket, it's a dang good motivator.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, uh, what well, we always talk with... Uh... Clients about existing and prospective clients is, you know, the, the time where the content production aspect was a limiting factor is long gone, right? Like, there, like you said, there are so many tools, most of them are free. Like, you want to start a podcast? Great. Like, you know, you've got Anchor and you've got free versions of all sorts of editing tools and whatever. You can, heck, you don't even like, do, do you need a microphone? It's, yeah. it's a nice to have. You could do it with just a regular headset and sure your audio might not sound as good, but you can do it, right? Like the the barrier to content creation is no longer the production mm-hmm. side of things. It's now, how how can you break through the noise? Cause so many people yeah. are creating, right? Um, one thing I, I'd love to get your thoughts on is again, you've got the theater background and I, I can tell just by talking to you, it's a, it's a big part of you've got the personality, right? Like you're, you are literally built for this in terms of like, you, you know, being in front of a camera, being behind a microphone, talking to, to large audiences, etc. cetera. Like doesn't mean that maybe it doesn't right. make you nervous. You know, I'd be actually curious to know does it. Um, but we'll save that for, for a minute here. But the question I have for you is, do you think somebody that doesn't have that background can be successful
0: and doing what you're doing and if so how 100 percent, they totally can now I I get that not everybody has the same skills and abilities you should see my handwriting I write like a very angry six-year-old <laughs> um who's also in a big hurry horrible handwriting right the good Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away so everyone needs to use their strengths there are some individuals who are phenomenal writers phenomenal writers we put them in front of a camera they play Ricky Bobby, and they don't know what to do with their hands right and he even here at flex like we very much understand like you gotta leverage your subject matter experts right and so we have a machinist here who's been my co-host for the last two years for any of the content that I've been in regarding some of our machines he is not a natural actor didn't even do drama in high school did nothing didn't even step in front of a camera unless it was like a family photo in his entire life and through just some general practice and just kind of cutting his teeth he now does great it's seriously night and day difference and we leverage him and his presence and his knowledge to have some fun I mean he's got a cool personality as well and you can't put all machinists in a box because that's really unfair if you will because um, they're highly intelligent individuals and it doesn't mean they need to be good on camera you know they make metal and stuff if they put me in charge of the machines I break everything that being said, um, I, I think that if you leverage your subject matter experts internally, not everyone's going to have the same skill sets. And that's why videographers exist with B-roll and stuff like that. But if you can leverage some type of human within your organization, it will it'll pay dividends because people want to connect with people because B2B is H2H. Yep.
1: Yeah. So... Um one more question for you, sort of related to yeah. mindsets, I think, which is you mentioned the, the three E's, right? And one of them was entertainment. Uh, I personally believe that the way that the, mar- the market, in marketing in general, not just in, in your industry, thinks about entertainment is fairly myopic. Like, uh, And I'm curious on before i give my opinion on it i'm curious about yours what does entertaining content uh mean to you as far as how you think about
0: it this is strictly my opinion but in all reality i love making individuals laugh because when you laugh your body releases specific chemicals that feel good period Period. Laughing is a joyous thing that individuals genuinely enjoy to do the vast majority of the time. I understand emotions are meant to be felt, but if we're playing an emotional game, which decision making and buying is, and so is also how individuals feel about your brand. Keyword feel. uh, I'm not saying every bit of you know educational, entertaining content needs to be funny, but I just there are so many times where you have the human beings who just love scrolling and they love a good chuckle anybody loves a good chuckle man it makes you smile and if you can do that while positively tying those feelings to your brand that means someone's being subjected to your company to your brand and they have good chemicals and good feelings running through their body i don't know a lot of situations where that's a bad thing now, we're definitely dialing back a little bit because we also understand if we listen and we're really empathetic about our customers and prospects, it's hard to get somebody to take a company or a, an opportunity seriously like a $250-plus-thousand-dollar machine investment seriously when there's just a bunch of funny mess-around videos on the Internet. So there's definitely a fine line, but I, I think that the best brands – can really latch onto that. And some of the most memorable brands that are either underground or mainstream have done something humorous in one way, shape or form. And some of them, it's their primary strategy. If you check their socials and their, their other uh, pieces of our content. So um, I, I get it, but man, I, I love to entertain people and to create good feelings so that when they're, they feel those good feelings and they see my stuff, they directly in our minds connect that. And that's never a bad thing.
1: Yeah no I, I I was curious on your thoughts, and i'm I'm not surprised where you went because again you're you're an entertainer, like that's the background you come from to a certain extent. I mean as an m c you have to mm-hmm. do at least some of that, right so there's that. Um, you know kind of my thought about it is I, I do agree humor is really, really powerful, um where I feel a lot of people maybe uh, it becomes a limiting factor for a lot of people, which is not everybody's funny, right and I think. Now there's uh, there's a spectrum of funny right not everybody could be a you know a Jerry Seinfeld on stage kind right, of right. thing right or you know choose your comic whoever's your favorite I don't care um and like I could sort of th- like I think about myself for example I am not the funniest person out there I I don't have an MC background I've never I, I you know hell for the longest time I was scared to get in front of a crowd of more than 10 people like I, you know And funny is not really my MO, right? The other example I'll give, like, there's a lot of people that are just like memes. Like they can come up with a meme on the spot and it's freaking hilarious. Me, I'll be, it takes me like, it's gotta be the perfect one that I can sort of relate to. And it's still mediocre maybe, right? it takes me, I don't know, 30 minutes to come up with something, whatever. That's just not me. Right, so I think a lot of people fall into that, like, oh well, I can't be funny, or our brand can't be funny, so I guess we're not gonna do entertainment or edutainment, and that's where I feel like and I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Like, I feel like that that's a limiting factor where, in my mind, entertainment can be where I agree with you is anything that creates these endorphins, for lack of a better word, these these good feelings and positive feelings that can be in a lot of different ways, right? So, as an example. I just saw um, totally random as a consulting group that I, I follow for, for, that they were doing like a, a like a 30 year anniversary celebration or whatnot, and you know they brought in speakers and like engaged the community. There was nothing funny about it whatsoever, but the good feels were there, right? And I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. That's entertaining content. It connects to your brand, but you're not trying to be funny because that just probably isn't your mo and that's okay um, so anyway i'm curious on your thoughts on on that
0: just like sugars and sweets in moderation that, that's, that's really – or use them sparingly in, in some cases. Um, and it just depends. You, men, you mentioned memes. And it's just one, one thing I think we're at a really weird point to where – I can't remember when the first meme was created. But if I had to guess, it may have been in the last like 10, 15 years. Horrible guess. Please don't fact check me on that. But the idea is that we have the generation <laughs> that's above mine that didn't come up with memes being funny. Not a lot – I mean not that – I'm not putting everyone in a box per se. But there's no pop culture connection to that. You know what I'm saying? You put some nostalgic 80s, 90s references, yada, yada, things like that. You know, then that's cool. You can do that. You'll see that with some celebrity endorsements in, in their way, shape, and form. And not everybody has to be funny. Like, you don't necessarily need your – you don't want your, um, your, your attorney's office to be funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though some of them have some outlandish billboard ads, that's a whole nother conversation. It's just another <laughs> tool in the pocket. And the thing is, if you don't have any original creative talent internally to create those funny things, look at what makes you laugh. Look at look at what what do you absorb? That's the biggest thing. What do you, as a decision maker, what content are you absorbing? What are you subscribing to? And there's nothing wrong with sharing somebody else's stuff. It's free to do. Just because you, I mean, and plus, if you want to make a meme, there are hundreds of meme generator sites, and I'm not trying to zone in on that. That's just the one specific example because there's o- there's not only a lapse in understanding of that specific tool, but there's also a lapse in creativity because what was creative in the previous workforce now with the millennials kind of getting in there and making their decisions, and we're taking over for what that's worth. Um, in, in, in a sense, for lack of a better phrase, you know, we're familiar with other items, and of course, my kids. You know, I got four kids. My oldest is 11. And I can only imagine how, how they're going to be marketed to. And I try to pay attention to what they do because I try to see what's going to be funny to you. Because I know in the next 10 years, I'm going to be marketing to you, sweetheart. You know, like it's just uh, it's things we got to be, be careful of. But also being very aware that people do want entertained. They, they just do. They want to smile. It doesn't have to be your sole marketing effort. Some people it is. But if you leave it out, um, either it either has to be a very specific situation or you just simply don't know how. Yep,
1: for sure. So, which I, this is a really good transition into, we talked a lot about mindset. What about skill set? You know, again, we talked about a number of things, maybe tangentially, especially with your background and things. What skill sets does somebody need to be successful in this, in terms of, again, that, that influencer side and the content creation? <laughs>
0: You gotta understand the human decision-making process, or AKA, you have to be, you have to display empathy. I really don't want to beat that word up. It's one of my favorite words in, for, for many reasons, and I won't try to beat it up too much, but th- that, that's gonna be the biggest thing, is being able to, to pull that and understand human beings. So much of like what's worked for me is not only just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations, being told no, learning what works and what doesn't, but reading a lot of books, and just trying to figure out why humans make decisions. Like being obsessed with that, honestly, um, it, it, it's, it's crucial. Um, I think if you really want to take it to the next level, Not, I mean, because creative ability is awesome, that'll take you places, but just genuinely knowing that specifically and being zoned in on how are human beings, specifically my target human being or my target buyer, how are they making decisions? What are they absorbing? What's everybody else doing? And, and you could even strip that down even further to just being curious, to being genuinely curious, having the biggest eyes and the biggest ears possible. And I didn't say the biggest mouth. So I'm not saying you always need to have that message. I'd rather have somebody who is observant and who can create very direct content than somebody who just makes a bunch of noise. And trust me, I've been both. I've been both. And someone, some people would argue that I'm one versus the other. That's irrelevant for a whole nother conversation. But back to the mindset, just being genuinely curious of, of individuals and what makes them tick has really changed the game for me. Because as soon as I started focusing on others and not just my product, my features, my benefits, um, conversations changed. And above all, responses to those conversations changed.
1: Do you have a specific framework that you either use or developed either formally or informally for understanding that human decision making process?
0: Uh, lots of audiobooks. I will say lots of audiobooks, but but at the end of the day i um, uh, after three years now at Flex, I've got a really, really good idea of who our target buyer is because I made it a point to connect with so many of them. And part of my job now is quite literally to connect with our customers and to just learn more about why they made the decision they did. And I'll even connect with people who choose to not do business with us so that I know why they chose not to. Um, And it's not an obsession, I should say, but it's been something that I've very, uh, very much focused on. And then it creates deeper relationships deeper learning and now even further, I'll create content with my best customers and create awesome fractal video uh, pieces um, from that specifically that I can then show to other customers because I already know that customer one who i was talking to has the same problem as the vast majority of my prospects so now i get to give them a view down the lens because i know that's really what they want in the first place they want that crystal ball that shows them okay i'm not going to be the first i'm not going to be the only this is going to work for me and so reverse engineering that it really allowed me to change the game so my framework is very much them focused i already know about all me it's not my job to know about all all about me my job to know all about them and when I made it a priority and I held it to a specific magnitude and made it non-negotiable to gain a better understanding then I gained precisely what I was you know, seeking and that was better understanding, better results and as I resulted, or said back beforehand better conversations so the framework is setting yourself up to understand by reverse engineering what it is that you're trying to do
1: Yeah I love it I mean you're pretty much speaking to everything that we have in our, you know, relationship framework that, that we work through with with, with clients. I'm curious, um, with everything you've talked about, uh, you just mentioned another example of leverage, right? In terms of creating content that you can then use for another purpose, right? You're going to co-create content to build that relationship and you can use that same piece of content to start a relationship potentially with a, with a prospective customer. Um, have you developed any systems to operationalize this right in terms of being able to do it over and over and over and over and over again and be efficient at it because again you guys i mean you put out a ton of content
0: i mean the main system you talked about for mine or primarily for like flexes in general or i just want to make sure i zone in on the right situation uh, either or or both got gotcha. you well for me um specifically i mean a lot of it's very synergistic with flex i use that word again because it, it's it's real i'm um, specifically being the podcast i mean uh we we like we're always experimenting we're always doing the fractal it's like that that's that's a big thing you'll hear me say a lot is, is is this the fractal content so a lot of our framework is is we obviously use technology to allow us to plan our posts out so that makes it very very easy we know the ratio of our product lines that we specifically want to feature when and where um uh, but a lot of it is based off kind of what our general focus is and in uh, and to the conversation I'm always paying attention to what everybody else is doing what everyone else isn't doing, and then also what's working well for us. So a lot of it's numbers-based. It's not really feelings-based or we base it off of likes. Uh, we are constantly looking back and saying, okay, this clearly worked. There's a reason why we had a video in, uh, from a TikTok in May of this year surpass our entire views that we got on YouTube last year Like as a whole. One video surpassed all of our YouTube views, but it was because January through April – We were testing 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 finally got a big boy that hit and i think that's all that really marketing is is in a way is just being open eyes open ears and using the framework of general curiosity and experimentation with minimal to no fear and very minimal objects in your way Um, and it does yield results we never wanted to break the algorithm we never wanted to go viral by any means we wanted to learn what people wanted to see so that we could replicate it and does that happen every single piece of content no but we always are looking back to what we've done, doing that, and we give about 20% of our bandwidth to trying new things. And then when those new things hit, they make it very aware because we have objective data that we can tie back to that specific effort. And we have something that I refer to as not my ROI but my ROE, which is my, is my return on effort because we can invest in all of these, these tools and programs, and they can do great things. But is it going to be return on our specific effort? you know, I'd love a Lamborghini, but is it, you know, it'd be nice, you know, but is, am I going to get, you know, for an emotional ROE from all the effort it's going to take me to get that said Lamborghini, maybe not the best analogy, but in all transparency, you get the idea.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you kind of mentioned a number of things here. Um, From a tool set perspective, maybe then, uh, you, know, you talked about technology to plan posts, etc. cetera. Um, maybe talk through some of that. What, what are some of the tools that you actually use on a day-to-day basis to uh, you know, activate against this framework or system that you've got put in place? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. So we de- there's definitely as much as it seems like we're running and gunning. A lot of it is very analytical and like very strategic. And some of the tech stack that we use that we're constantly um, you know revitalizing it and amping up and changing and sharpening. A big one is we use Buffer, Buffer for all of our specific social posting. But it's great because. There are tons of sites that you can do posting and scheduling. But I wanted something specifically that gave me great data. So we have data on when our best times of the week is set days or whatever to post. We have that. We can directly respond, which engagement's a huge part of our strategy, um, and that's a big difference maker as well as being able to engage with the humans that are wanting to engage with us and clearly do. Um, we're able to see all of our mainly the analytics that's my favorite part of, of all the social stuff we do the, the posts they are what they are that's cool and all but I'm a data guy at the end of the day and um, we actually currently um, we're tracking all of the top f- our top five social uh, channels and each of those channels we track the top four metrics of those because not all social platforms are made the same and if they were there'd only be one uh and so with that we get great data for each of them specifically um and that's been awesome because we've been able to track the effectiveness of that you know and at this point we're about to cross over four million impressions across like our our five major platforms which is nuts because that's 95 percent organic so um little things like that that can help you tie back to your roe is it worth the effort um and then additionally to that email campaign's a big thing for us like we obviously want to stay in touch via email and we don't just want any email platform so we've used mailchimp in the past switched over recently to constant contact um just for its great user friendly um uh, usability if you will and then um, its integration with our crm crm is going to be huge as well for anybody who who is talking to anybody um, within a business perspective having a crm is going to be huge so not, not this big, illustrious, grand tech stack that you may think, but in all reality, we've got our, our, you know, our CRM for all of our you know, management, and our data. We've got some we of our outreach platform with, with our email, with through Constant Contact, and then having our social platform that gives us all our analytics, our post planning, and then all some of those nice bells and whistles in between. Um, that's primarily what it is that we're using on a, a daily basis outside of this, doing a lot of things natively in addition to that. Oh, and I can't forget Canva. I use the crap out of Canva. I was going to ask, are you,
1: you're doing all, are you guys doing all the creative production work in-house, or are
0: you outsourcing any of that? In-house, homie. i proud of it. <laughs> is that all you, or do you, have a, do you have a team? Oh, God, no, it's not me. Whew. So, uh, no joke. Another great thing about the Flex team is we actually have two videographers at any given time, and they are in-house. Awesome. So one has more of a design focus and we have a videographer who also runs our social. So that's another key kind of situation there without giving away our playbook by any means. Having a videographer um, at heart do your content. You want to talk about unlimited video snippets and all the, like what you could use. That's the smart way to do it. But a lot of people are bootstrapping and using Canva, which is great because I use it for my own personal stuff. But in all reality, having a videographer as your social and as like your brand person, that's two birds, one stone, homie.
1: And do you, do you think, I'm curious, because like, I mean, if there's a lot of uh, videographers out there and I would venture to say all of them have the technical skill set, that brand and social skill set is a, that's a different animal to a certain extent. Um so the fact that you've got somebody that can do both is again, I wouldn't call it a unicorn per se, but it's that uh, I don't, I forget who coined the concept or whatever, but it's sort of like those, uh, you know, uniquely complementary yet different skill sets that somebody puts together and makes themselves invaluable,
0: right? hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: exactly. You, I, I'm, is that, was it hard to find somebody like that?
0: Well, uh, to continue my trend of transparency, it wasn't always that way. It was honestly another type of outside of the box situation. Because we have as a team, as we grew, there was always at least one person that was doing the manual posting, but we all kind of collectively uh, collaborated on that specifically. And as we've done some internal shifts, it just made sense. Um, it really did. We've got somebody who's doing sh- like the vision casting, which is primarily myself, paying attention to what everybody else is doing, trends, patterns, yada, yada, analytics on my end. And then the creative side was just our videographer who started as our primary video person, but then realized that if him and I worked together, we could do that. So it was one of those where we had training wheels on, on him at first, you know, he's cause he's very, very capable video guy, like fantastic video dude. His title was quite literally video genius, quite literally. Um, And so he's he's the reason why we had all the video assets and the ones that you see, he's the reason we have that. So we just took that already solidified skill and took a rather easy – Job And in some cases, and that's just the social posting and we work together on it. So even though there's one person posting, there's always at least two or three minds behind it so that we can keep that collaborative mindset, but also not reduce the singular vision of the content. So he is very much becoming um, a unicorn within himself. You know, we're getting better every single day, but, but I can recommend anybody, if you have somebody who is even somewhat competent in socials, but great in video or design, that's the person that you have running your socials, period.
1: And one, um, one other thing I'd love to hear from you is, you know, you mentioned the data piece. What are the main metrics that you are looking at? I know every platform is different, but maybe across the board, what I'm curious about is what are the core metrics you look at? And then how are you connecting them to business impact?
0: Yeah, so big one being impressions, um, impressions, reach, and video views. Those are kind of the bigger ones on like the demand gen side. Um, and since like we do have some lead attribution, uh, when you go click through our site before you submit for an RFQ, you have to you know, show where you were, uh, like where you came in from. You have to select where that may be. But uh, I've learned and listened to a lot of. Uh, people much smarter than myself that really question that so that's something that I'm constantly challenging myself is that true lead attribution because even though we have people who say from YouTube saw our videos um, the the socials yada yada um, so we do track that that's one way we can specifically attribute that a lot of it's the, the verbal feedback we get you know we get a lot of feedback from the fun videos that we do and from our distributors channel partners and our direct customers Um, but the main like objective number based um, specific metrics would definitely be our impressions our reach and our video views because those are true ways for us to know exactly how much our efforts are getting at like how many like literal eyes we're going to be in front of how many times have we showed up on a screen because that is worth something now you could get deep into cost per acquisition and things like that but we don't actually run a ton of like paid ads we we just we just don't because we don't necessarily have to could we and have we yeah we have before and could we yeah um we just don't necessarily have to during this specific point because we also understand a lot of the a lot of keywords we're competing in are very expensive keywords, and so we really are trying to justify that. But at the end of the day, we keep things nice and compact, super direct, super strategic, and have a good time doing it.
1: Nice, yeah. I mean, you are talking about, you know, kind of questioning the, the validity of some of those things. Uh, what we'll generally talk about is you kind of have to triangulate, right? Because click-based attribution, we all know the the, the defaults there, the gaps in terms of well, uh, just because that's where they clicked from doesn't mean that that's where they originally found you that kind of thing on the flip side you've got you know that self-reported attribution where people are a combination of lazy and forgetful right yeah they might say well i found you via youtube but is that really right maybe you got a referral to go watch the channel like hey you should check out this video so where did you really find me well this person told me right and so it's sort of like you got those gaps and then the other piece uh, that we always talk about from that triangulating is like various correlations between, all right, we started doing this and we invested more here at this point, And afterwards, did we see an increase in you know, business impact or a decrease in business impact, whether it be pipeline or revenue or LTV or you know, all sorts of different metrics you could be looking at depending on where your objectives are. But it's got to be kind of that combination of all three of them. Otherwise, you're going to go astray somewhere because no- nothing's perfect.
0: Sure, sure. And, and like, that's one thing I will say, like the small little uh, little bump in our armor or whatever you want to call it, for lack of a better term, is, is I, that we want to be better about where that lead attribution, like we really getting that pinned down because we're not just simply trying to justify what we're doing. We're trying to focus on that ROE. Because we can put, we can invest as many dollars in, into whatever it is that we want specifically within you know realms of our, our our budget per se. But aside from that, just figuring out what's actually worth the effort of going into it, you know, the dollars and cents can be made. We can figure that out. But that's one thing we're definitely getting better at, and just trying to always improve on. Anybody can get yeah, be better on that, right? Yeah.
1: On that point, uh, maybe if we can spend a couple minutes to dig in a little bit more. Yeah how do you decide whether something is going to be a good roe like that it's worth the investment how are you making those decisions
0: a lot of it comes after in all reality i mean you try your best in the beginning to to be like okay this is going to be worth it but but a lot of it's based off things we've done before and and when you're somebody like like flex we're in the last three years alone just we've been able to grow leaps and bounds um, when it comes to brand awareness and the impressions again we're, we're We're getting more impressions this year on our social and reach than we've gotten probably in the last five years total combined, combined. It's nuts, man. Doesn't happen overnight, but it's just one of those where it's because we're constantly experimenting, constantly. And we accept the risks of things not being worth the E. You know um because we waste time on customer calls we waste time on demos everybody is going to waste time and resources in one way shape or form there are probably 20 people in the building right now that are wasting time (laughs) you know and you know whether it's directly or indirectly and that's anywhere you go um so a lot of that has been based off of do we have a good plan and we mitigate a lot of that risk by our partner system, and that's a big essence of that buddy branding system that I've been utilizing as well, focusing a lot on collaborations, because when you do that, you significantly lower the risk, and we go back to what's the worst thing that's going to happen, we tighten a relationship with a company much bigger than ours, get a lot of that backlink, all that good fun stuff, and we're creating good content that's going to get attention in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so that's really the, the big ways that we kind of go about it. We don't have a perfect system to be like, this is going to be worth 100%. Hey, if anybody out there has a system like that, let me know. A lot of marketers would love to hear from you, right? <laughs> You're going to be no, rich. Uh,
1: I, I asked that not facetiously, but, uh, it's actually, I, I love that you brought this up. I was just listening to a really interesting, uh, talk, uh, podcast interview yesterday about like decision-making. Uh, it's, uh, making sense with Sam Harris, if you're interested, I think it's like two and a half hour interview, but it's um, the long and short of it really is that, you know, there is no perfect system. Like this focus on um, outcomes and consequences can, number one, only get you so far. And the reality is, is humans are notoriously bad at thinking through what all the potential outcomes and consequences could be, right? Cause you don't know until you've been there to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. um, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that entire thing, but uh, for anybody listening, you can check it out on your own. Um, but what I love about what you're saying is that, and I'm paraphrasing, correct me if this is incorrect, but you've got a set of heuristics at this point that you're using for, hey, I think this is gonna be good. And on top of that, now you've got a history of saying, hey, you know what? My bets, uh, to a, a certain percentage of them pay off, and they pay off in a big way, and the ones that don't pay off, well, maybe we we'll wasted some time. And sure, maybe someone must have a little bit of budget on whatever, tools and equipment and ad dollars or whatever, but it's minimal, you're mitigating that risk, like you said, through that partner program, because you're offloading some of that. So you've got these heuristics that you're generally using, yep, I think it's gonna be a good bet, and then you do a post-mortem, which is, hey, was this a good bet? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Is that that's, fair? That's why people don't, like when we ask <clears throat> for collaborations anymore with people, I don't come to you unless I have something written out and probably an outline already. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't come to somebody with a new show. Um, like we're getting ready to start one here and here in the not so distant future, whole new video series featuring some of our greatest partners. I, I just went to them just saying, Hey, I have an idea. And we're now at the point to where none, no details even need to de- described. It's look, what's on your mind. When can we meet next and talk about it? And then everybody's in the room talking about it the next day. It's just a, uh, and that that's with other partners specifically and so it's just it's nice to have a little bit of that we'll call it authority for a time or maybe influence whatever you'd like to call it and and it's not it's, it's because we've done some of the stupid stuff like there are lots of stupid videos that i'm we're probably really lucky that they didn't make it to production because they're just bad it's bad right but when you see the the good things that we do no, it was probably followed by 10 things that are just not not the greatest right so um just not being afraid to fail and failing forward to sound cliche but um, very minimal worries, because we know whatever we're going to do, it's going to generate attention and we're going to have fun. And we also try to kind of mitigate a lot of that risk before even creating it with some of the, the systems and processes that we've used before. So if it's scalable and we can, we can make it fractal, um, good chances are we're going to at least have an extended conversation about it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, to put a pretty little bow on it, I think we've talked about results pretty consistently throughout, but maybe summarize, okay, you've been doing all this stuff, you've focused on influencers and fractal content creation uh, over the years here. What's that done? Give give, give us a couple of numbers, if you will.
0: Oh, for sure. So working with influencers specifically, one specific influencer, instead of spending what would probably cost us maybe a six-figure ad budget, let's just say the 50K or less per se in those upwards, we've been able to amass 1.64 million video content views through this individual's channel. Of our product being used by a trusted individual, huge. We could not do that by ourselves without spending, again, upwards of of thousands and tens of thousands of dollars uh, to be able to get that specifically. Like it's really unreal. Um, And leveraging influencers, huge. And that's just one example of it. Another big thing that I mentioned earlier is we're talking about impressions. That's a direct result of your efforts on social, your reach, all those fun things. Um, I set a goal this year for $2 million. And that was like a lofty goal. That was one that was like, yeah, that's pretty stretch. I don't know if we're going to hit that. That's a big, big goal. And no joke, we're going to probably double it before the end of the year with like zero ad spend. I'm not even joking, like zero ad spend. And that's not even including my own impressions. Like my own personal impressions through the LinkedIn, that's not even including that because that would more than double it already. And so with that type of framework, um, and those are just again only two examples of just raw numbers that we've been able to see from that. I mean, last month we got a million impressions in Facebook alone. On Facebook, what? We don't even care about Facebook. Million plus impressions, you got my attention awesome and from a uh
1: i guess if if i had to guess that correlates to business impact like you're investing all this time and over time you're getting you know more pipeline higher acvs things like that
0: yeah we're growing year over year man um and we try our best to connect as much of it as possible but you're seeing a huge increase in our lead attribution being social YouTube's previous customers, our distribution partners, um, they are hearing, and they actually, they use our videos as, as sales material to go send to these people to drum up this. And so that is giving them more of an opportunity to sell. And so that's directly obviously growing. So I don't ever wanna take like full 100% responsibility uh, for all of this. I know, a lot of, I know a lot of marketers love to do that, but where I like to be, I'm, I'm a team player and I know a lot of people are, and I'm not trying to sound cliche, but, me at the end of the day, and with in the absence of lead attribution software, I'm just happy knowing that I'm giving my salespeople and my extended salespeople the right messaging. And if my, you know, if the customers like it, and we get a couple of cool comments and things like that. That's just icing on the cake, man.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, go to market's a team sport, right? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, Eddie, you've uh, you've shared a ton of valuable stuff: all uh, the mindsets, the skill sets, tool sets, and we just chatted results. Um, if you've got the time, still, I know we're a little over here. Uh, let's do a quick, uh, quick lightning round. Let's do it. All right. So, um oh, I had these up a second ago. All right. Uh, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Impressions. All right. Uh, what is something you're looking forward to testing out, something new you're looking forward, out, forward to testing out this year? You mentioned you got some exciting stuff coming up. I don't know how much of it yeah, you can. Yeah, a new
0: video series, a new video series okay. titled Flex Around and Find Out. Excited about that. Nice. I love the title. I love the title. Um, what would you say
1: is a marketing, quote unquote, best practice that needs to go by the wayside?
0: Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Big, <laughs> big trade shows.
1: Well, it's a lightning round, never mind. I'll I'll ask you follow up questions later. Um what is your least favorite business word or phrase?
0: Oh goodness. I know this is a lightning <laughs> round. I apologize. There are just that's right. There are just so stinking many. All the things that salespeople say, like, I'm going to circle back. Uh, like, oh, gosh, just the circle back. <laughs> I'll ping you. Uh, virtual coffee. Oh, my God. What does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean? Sorry. I, uh, yes. Virtual coffee takes the cake. Stop I it. I know what you want. Stop inviting me for virtual coffee. Sorry. Oh, man. No, I, I'm, I'm laughing because
1: at, uh, at one point, one of my uh, um, Early on in the pandemic, where everybody was doing virtual coffee, is right, I I had a uh, uh, just almost like a get to know you calendar uh, template or whatever the, the link that I'd sent out to people, and then I'm like, I don't have to call it. So I had labeled it virtual coffee, and at some point I'm like, this is stupid. Not a single time did we ever get coffee together, and why the hell would anybody do virtual coffee in the first place? So I had to, I changed it to just get to know you or whatever. It's like why, why virtual coffee? Who came up with that idea? I respect it,
0: but dude, just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you mentioned you've read and listened to a lot of, a lot of books, favorite, uh, favorite uh, business or marketing book.
0: Oh man. It might be start with why start with why yeah yeah there's like seriously three but i'll I'll say probably start with why is a really good one
1: all right all right cool um favorite song music genre or playlist to listen to while working
0: so this changes quite a bit but but i will say one that that's that's pretty consistent with me is i love my my tropical house on spotify man it's like constant summer vibes mix of your lo-fi so it's chill but it's upbeat enough to not put you to sleep and it just i don't know it's, it's good stuff easy to pound out some work to having a solid little focus session i'm, I'm about some some uh, some lo-fi tropical house man
1: yeah all right last one um what is something about you that uh somebody who wouldn't be able to find out about you on linkedin or any other social since you're so public what's something maybe that someone doesn't know about you
0: got you so one pretty unique thing is uh, i know i do a lot of this like mma stuff and all that and everybody sees that but huge nerd and i actually i run a a, um a 15 to 20 person magic the gathering play group and i have for the last seven years and so uh, we're a team some of us go out to local events and it's a team thunderdome (laughs) And we, uh, we uh, competitively awesome. play Magic the Gathering.
1: I love that. That is, uh, that is awesome. Cool. Well, Eddie, this was really fun. Hopefully you had fun too. And last but not least, where can somebody find you if they want to ask your question or invite you to speak at something?
0: Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is the the greatest uh, way to be able to contact me putting stuff out, you know, at least every day. So lots of really, really cool things. You can find me on uh, Facebook as well. Um, you Check it out on YouTube. But big thing, Eddie Saunders Jr. on LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. Eddie, thank you so much for your time. And we will be in touch.
0: Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library, complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.